got a question for you this morning. What word or words would you use to describe the world we live in? What words? Now, I want you to just tell your neighbor real quick the words that popped into your head. If you're online, type it in the chat. What words would you use to describe the world we live in? Oh, I'm hearing some of them. Okay, one of two things just happened. You went one of two directions with that. Maybe both. Some of you chose to look at the positive aspects of our world. And you used words like beautiful, diverse, connected, innovative, inclusive, creative, and maybe many, many more. Some of you are bent more towards the negative, and you use negative words to describe it, such as corrupt or chaotic, divisive, intolerant, unstable, polluted, violent. You know, whichever direction you went, that probably tells us a little bit about you or tells you a little bit about yourself. But the reality is, either direction you went, both are true. The world is all of those things. And as we are unpacking some of this in our Genesis series, how the world began, we've covered the how of creation. We've covered the fact that we are image bearers of God and what that means. And we've uh, discovered how sin came into the world and kind of messed everything up. And we're at a place now where last week we see that God described the world with some pretty negative words. He said, the world was fully evil, wicked, corrupt, and violent. That's a massive shift from the first two chapters which rehearsed creation where after he created each day, he said, and it was good, right? So what's up with God? Is he just having a bad day when he says it's violent and corrupt and all these things? Of course not. Sin came into the world and got us to that place. And it's to the point now where he is so put off with what the world has become, what human beings have done, that he's decided he's going to wipe every human being off the planet with a global flood. And we landed last week that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick the story up today. If you've missed any of those messages, go to our website, go to the app, go to our YouTube channel, and you can get caught up on this series. You don't want to not do that, and you can share it with your friends, like it, do all those things that you do on social media and things, and uh, keep up with us. So we're looking at the but Noah, but Noah today. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9 says this, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at that time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is that Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Literally, it says he walked with God. Now, walking, what does that mean to walk? Well, walk indicates movement. The same word in the Hebrew can be used of a flowing river or the wind blowing. It's simply walking, simply taking steps. Now, a lot has been made of the way people walk. I, I don't know about you, but uh, people think I have a distinctive walk. At least people close to me, they can tell that I'm coming when they hear me walking or if they see me walking, they think I walk strange or walk funny. I just walk. I don't know about you, right? Do you walk funny? 
Yeah? How about you? You? Yeah? You know, they even write songs about walking, right? We had, uh, it was Mick Jagger who said, walk this way, right? And I'm not going to sing it for you because I'm not Pastor Justin, you know, but I'm walking this way. And now I'm walking this way, right? And then, of course, is Nancy in the room? Hey, Nancy. And then we we were told in the 80s, was it in the 80s that we were taught to walk like an Egyptian, right? <laughs> Nancy's our resident Egyptian. Thank you, Nancy. But when we're in the context that we're talking about Noah walking with the Lord, it's used metaphorically. And metaphorically, when we talk about our walk, we're talking about our behavior patterns, the way we behave in life. So what did it look like for Noah to walk with God. Two things in that verse that we can pick up right away. First of all, Noah was a righteous man. Now that's the first time the word righteous is used in scripture and it's talking about Noah. It comes from a Hebrew word called Sadiq and that word has moral or ethical tones to it. And it talks about uh, conformity to a given standard. Someone is seen as righteous if they are conforming to a given standard. Now, we need to be careful with that because depending on the context, that can be quite subjective. Who decides what standard that is, right? Right? I don't know about you, but I've been in circles before where people will look at me and they've got their set of standards and they'll judge me according to that, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's standards and God is the one that said Noah was righteous. So God is comparing Noah's life, his behavior, his walk to his standards, and saying, and he says Noah was a righteous man. Noah came from a line of, of, of righteous people. It's the first time the word was used, was talking about Noah, but his great-grandfather Enoch walked with God. He walked with God, and he didn't even die. He was taken to heaven, rescued from a corrupt world miraculously because he was walking with God, and God said, hey, I'm going to pull you out of this mess. Anybody ever feel like that? You think, Lord, just, just get me out of here now? That wouldn't that be great? You know, and then his father Lamech named him Noah. And the name Noah literally means to rescue. And he named him Noah, it tells us, because he was wanting him to bring relief to the world that was broken by sin. That's what Noah's name meant. So when we consider righteousness, we need to be, understand that we are not made righteous by behaving righteously. It's not by keeping a, a list of do's and don'ts, and then if we do well enough, then okay, now we've reached righteousness. Noah's righteousness didn't come from his good works. His good works came from his righteousness. He behaved righteously because he was righteous, not the other way around. And too often we get that flipped around. And when we do that, we're going to drive ourselves crazy and everybody else. And we become judgmental and uh, of other people even. And it's not about the behavior. The behavior is a product of what's in the heart because we're walking with God. So not only was Noah righteous, but Noah was also blameless. Noah was a blameless man. The word blameless mean, means complete. And over half of the times that it's used in Scripture, it's referring to animals. It's referring to sacrificial animals that were without blemish. They were blameless. In a moral sense, it means truth, virtue, and uprightness. It has to do with a person's relationship with another person. Now, where righteousness 
had to do for Noah with his standing before God. Blamelessness had to do with his conduct around other people, how other people viewed him. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless because Jesus is the only person that ever walked on the uh, face of the earth that never sinned. Noah uh, was not perfect, but he was blameless. The word means to have integrity, to be whole, to be unblemished. Essentially, when it says Noah was blameless, it's saying no one could say anything bad about Noah. Think about your life. Think about all the people you know. Is there anybody that you know that you can't say anything bad about? You probably shouldn't say bad things about anyone anyway, but think about your life. Could people look at you and say, can't say anything bad about that person? They're a blameless person. That's what Noah was there. You know, we talk about the walk, the spiritual life. Our spiritual life, the walk of faith is referred to as a walk. The walk of faith is referred to as a walk. You know, spiritual life, it begins with one step, right? You know what that step is? The first step in our faith journey is coming to Christ, accepting Jesus. That's our first step. Then after we do that, it turns into a daily walk, one step at a time. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 talks about it as faith to faith, meaning one step at a time. We have faith to take this step, and then after we take that step, then we have faith to take the next one, and so on and so on. It's, the Christian life is not just we're transported immediately to perfection. It's a journey. And we take step after step. Several times in Scripture, Ephesians calls, uh, says that we are to walk in love and to walk as children of light. In Galatians, it says we are to walk in the Spirit. So as we're doing this Christian life, as we're doing this journey, one step at a time, one day at a time, we're walking with the Lord, and He is guiding us. He's directing us. He's upholding us. That's what this whole concept of walking with the Lord is all about. Now, Noah's righteousness, his blamelessness, his walk with the Lord was in response to his personal faith. See, Noah had faith, and that caused him to believe the Word of God. He had faith in the word of God. He had faith that God was going to do what God said. Let's look at a few of those things. See, when we walk with God, he speaks to us through his word. That's what Noah was responding to. He's walking with God, and God is speaking to him through his word, and he believed God's word and acted in faith. It says in verse 12, God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. It says, God spoke to Noah. I find that, just that, that whole concept just amazing that Noah was in a place walking with God that he actually recognized God's voice when he spoke. You've got to be walking with God to recognize when God's speaking to you. God speaks to us today primarily through his word and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's the way he communicates with us. And we've got to be walking with him in step, day by day, if we want to hear those times. You know, I often wonder, even in my own life, what God might be saying to me that I might be missing because I'm not slowing down enough to walk with him because I'm trying to run ahead of him or a different direction than him. Is that just me or anybody with me there? Sometimes we need to slow down a little bit 
Make sure that we're walking with God so that we can hear when he speaks to us. God was saying some pretty heavy things to Noah. He was sharing his heart with Noah, if you would, uh, in how he saw the world. And for Noah and his family, walking with God in that day and age would not have been easy. The world was corrupt and filled with violence. And that would have been troubling for Noah because, remember, Noah is a righteous man. He's a godly man. And that would have troubled him. But when God revealed what he was going to do, that would have been troubling as well. See, Noah's heart was aligned with God. So they, they were both troubled by this. But God's solution was, I'm going to wipe humans off the planet. I'm going to destroy the earth. And if I'm Noah and I'm walking with God, I'm probably going to start asking God a lot of questions because I'm not sure that's such a great plan if I'm Noah. I noticed Noah never questioned God. We have no record that he said, God, are you sure? Or anything like that. He didn't question. He didn't argue or debate. He didn't ask, well, how could a loving God do something like that? He just believed the word of God. He believed what God said, and then that moved him to action. He didn't just share God's heart. He followed his instructions. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 tells us this. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. When we look at this, this is in the New Testament, okay? This is a Reference back to the Old Testament, the old historical account of Noah building the ark and the flood that happened. So he tells Noah, build an ark, and Noah says, it says, by faith, he built that boat. By faith, he did what God said. And the faith that was required for that was just tremendous faith because it had never happened before. You know, we can have faith for God to work in ways that we've seen him work before. But Noah had faith for God to do something that he had no context for. It never happened before. And Noah believed the word of God. And he took God seriously at what he said. So that moved Noah to do the will of God. He was walking with God. He believed the word of God. And that moved him to do the will of God or the work of God. In verse 14 it says, build a large boat from cypress wood. Waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. A lot of details here that God's giving Noah. This had never happened before. There had never been a need for a big boat like this before, so he gave him a lot of details. But what we see here is that when you walk with God, he speaks to you through his word and reveals his will. He reveals his will when you're walking with God and listening to his word. So Noah, what kind of work was this? He had to build an ark. My first question to God would have been, what is an ark? Because it's never happened before. It's a boat. It's not a speedboat or it's not a ship of sorts. It was just a watertight vessel that would float. There was no, it was not for direction. It was just for floating because God was going to direct it where he wanted later. God gave him very specific instructions and God's plan 
in your life and my life always includes details, and we need to pay attention to the details. You know, I, I'm a big picture kind of person, and a lot of times I'll forget the details. That's why I've got good people around me to take care of details. But God is interested in the details. He's interested in the details of your life and my life, the details that other people may not be interested in. If we're trying to share her life with somebody or share a struggle or whatever, and you, you ever try to share and people aren't interested, interested in hearing what you have to say, God's interested. He's interested in those details. But the ark, i got to share with you, the, the ark was an amazing thing. It was an instrument of rescue. Getting tongue-tied this morning. It was an instrument of rescue or of salvation. When we think about the ark, the only other place that this word is used is in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, there was a baby born called Moses. And the king at the time was trying to kill all the Hebrew children, all the Israelite babies. So Moses' mother put Moses in a basket, okay, and that basket was, was used to, uh, to, it was watertight, and they put it in the, in the river there, in the bulrushes, it says. And it kept Moses safe from infanticide. That's what was going on there. That's the only other time this was used. That basket was an instrument of salvation for Noah, an instrument of, or for Moses, an instrument of rescue. The Hebrew word for tar, the pitch that was around the ark and around this basket, the Hebrew word is closely related to the same word for atonement. Atonement. You know, that could be a coincidence, but I think in the context of the, the situation here, it's well suited for a story of judgment and salvation. Both words have a common basic meaning, meaning to cover. And then in the ark, there was a door in the side. Did you see that when we went through the details? There was a door in the side. There was one way in. And that, mind, that takes my mind to uh, John chapter 10, where we see Jesus being the gate to the sheepfold. He's the only way in. When the flood came, and we're going to talk more about that next week, only those who were in the, in the ark were saved. Everybody else was destroyed. The ark lifted them above the destruction Friends, the symbolism can't be missed in all this. There's a future judgment coming. And the only people that are going to be saved are those that are in Christ Jesus. He is that ark for us today. Moving on, God's still talking to Noah. He says, look, I'm about to cover the, the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you, so enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Moving on. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. A lot there, continuing to tell Noah what to do. Build the boat, get the animals, put the animals in it, and enter the boat. Again, 
Another huge job getting all those animals together, bringing all the animals together, and God sent them to him, made it a little bit easier. But I noticed if we looked at chapter 7, the first few verses of chapter 7, in verse 3, it tells us the reason he wanted the pairs of animals, male and female, was for reproduction. He was planning already to repopulate the earth. And it's fascinating. He says, for sacrifices and food and preservation. In verse 2, it says, it says to bring seven pairs of those that I've made for food and for sacrifice. You know, I was talking to Pastor Deanna uh, this week, and she brought out something I'd never seen before and never read by any commentator before or anything, and this was amazing. This is gold, okay? When we look at the ark as a vessel of salvation, an instrument of salvation, and then we see the clean and unclean animals being included. It's a symbol of Jesus accepting everyone, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. He came as a Jew, and they expected him to set up the Jewish nation, but then the Gentiles were included too, the clean and the unclean. It's a beautiful picture of salvation where everyone is welcomed in. I don't know about you, I was really excited about that when she pointed that out. I was like, wow, God is amazing. He paints the picture in the Old Testament of what he's doing in the New Testament and what it means for us today. Then it tells us that Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. So he walked with God, he believed the word of God, he did the will of God. And while he was doing all that, Noah was a witness to the world. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this, God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. He learned from his great-grandfather Enoch and his grandfather Methuselah and his father Lamech what it meant to walk with God. His walk with God caused his family to be saved, to be rescued. It doesn't tell us that his sons or his wife or their wives were walking with God and they were righteous people. It says Noah was righteous. And because Noah was righteous and he did what God said, his family was rescued as well. Parents, I've talked to people so many times over 30 years plus of ministry People who are not open to faith at all. And a lot of times the, the story goes something like this. It's like, well, I grew up in a home where my father wasn't a good person. He beat my mother or he was an alcoholic or he did this or he ran out on us or on and on and on the stories go. And those people, even later in life, are not willing to try God out because God is seen as a father. And their picture of a father is not a good one. Their understanding. The impact and influence that we have as parents, and I want to include mothers in this as well. We have the ability to influence the next generation and that next generation. Our kids and our grandkids for good, for faith. And you know, for, friends, the way we live our lives, the way we walk with God or not walk with God will draw them to walk with God or potentially 
push them away from ever considering walking with God. I know that's heavy. That's heavy. But friends, we need to take that on board. We need to realize the influence and impact we can have in a positive way as well if we choose to walk with God. You know, most people know that Noah built an ark, but he also built a godly character and a godly family. Outside of his family, though, Noah Noah was being a witness to the world, and his ministry wasn't that effective. For over 100 years, he's building this big boat, and he would have been telling people why. Imagine Noah's building this boat in his front yard and people walking by out for their evening or morning walks. And they're, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark. What's an ark? You know, why are you building this big boat? And he'd be trying to explain because God's sending a flood. God's going to judge the earth. And all the humans are going to go away. They're going to be destroyed. And what would you think if you were Noah's neighbor? Are you some kind of nut job? For sure. He would have been getting ridiculed all the time because... What he was doing had never been done before. What he was saying is coming had never happened before. People would have had no context for it or understanding, but he was preaching to them, telling them. He's called a preacher of righteousness. He was blameless, and that means that he's going to be a kind person that's sounding out this warning. But there were no results for his preaching, no converts. I can imagine him pleading with people to follow God and to change. And you know, I don't know about you, but if you're ever discouraged because you're trying to walk with God and people won't listen to you, they don't seem to care, they're not interested, don't be discouraged. Noah preached for over 100 years and had no converts, no effective ministry. Only God can change people. We're just to be witnesses of his grace and goodness. I can also imagine when the rains came, we'll, again, we'll talk more about that next week, the people who had seen Noah building an ark and had rejected Noah's message, probably banging on the door, saying, ah, we've changed our minds. We see what's going on here. It's raining and the water's rising. Let us in, let us in, let us in. And it was too late. Noah was a witness to the world. So what do we do with all this? Let's go back to where we began. What words would you use to describe the world we live in? You know, it's easy for us to look at the world around us, see the corruption, the violence, the wickedness, division. But what if God told you, just like he told Noah, I'm done with humans. I'm going to destroy the whole planet. What would you say? How would you respond? In 2 Peter, Peter was a follower of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest followers. And he wrote us two letters, and this is in the second one. He's talking about the day the Lord comes back. Listen closely. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 9. It says, They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. 
They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. What if God told you, I'm going to destroy the world? Judgment is coming. What would you do? Noah built a boat. And he preached. He was a witness. Nobody responded. But friends, this is heavy stuff. A global flood is heavy stuff. The coming judgment is heavy, heavy stuff. The good news is there's time. That's what Peter's talking about. He said there's still time for you to be saved. First question for you is, do you believe God's word? Noah believed the word of God. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe what I just read to you there out of 2 Peter? That that judgment is actually coming. Some of you in the building, some of you online, need to hear that warning. And you need to heed that warning because you have not accepted Christ. You are not in the ark. You're not following Jesus. So that judgment's talking about you. You can change that today just by surrendering your life to Jesus. For those that are following Jesus, how's your walk? Is it a walk that is peaceful and pure and blameless like Peter describes and like Noah lived? And are you being a witness in your everyday life, in your work in your social gatherings, in your family, amongst your friends? Are you being that witness? The world needs hope. The world needs a warning. The world is wicked and without hope. The world needs Jesus. And you, friends, and I are the chosen instrument to deliver him to the world that needs him. Will you do it? Will I do it? Will we risk being laughed at because we're building a boat in our front yard? 
so to speak. Well, we put up with some ridicule and stuff because we believe the Word of God, because we're walking with God, and we want to be found doing the will of God. That will be our witness to the world. The world needs hope. They need Jesus. So my challenge to you as we leave today is this. Walk with God. Doing the will of God. And be a witness to a world without hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you preserved life when you preserved Noah and his family to repopulate this planet. Thank you that you give a, gave us that historical account and then we can see the parallels in Jesus today. Thank you for giving us hope. Lord, forgive us when our walk doesn't quite match up with what you saw in Noah. Lord, we, we try hard. We're striving to be. But Lord, sometimes we, we, we fail. Forgive us for those times. Help us to believe your word. Help us not to take your word lightly and casually. When we read words, even words that are troubling like I just read out of Second Peter, Lord, help us to believe them and let that motivate us to take the truth of the gospel to a world that needs Jesus. Father, thank you for your love for us that was poured out on him and now is lavished upon us in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.